0: Amen. Yeah, thank you, JC, one of our elders. Yeah, I appreciate him praying. Normally I'm praying over the team going down, but I told him, I was like, but I want prayer. So it's like, you know, it's like, trust me, I I am not a world traveler. I have been called to America. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, that's honestly, I, all my ministry, people are like, you need to go to Africa. You need to go over here. I'm like, God has called me to America, and I have a very delicate uh um, not delicate palate, but a very, uh, yeah, uh, a very picky palate. You know what I mean? I'm like, I don't want to offend the whole country because, you know, I'm not going to eat cheese, uh, but, um, but God's stretching my faith, and it's going to be exciting, and so how many will pray for all of us? We're flying out Friday, and we'll be there all next week. Pastor Jonathan's going to speak next week, um, our, our youth pastor, but uh, keep us in prayer. We'll, we'll send some more messages about that. But I'm glad you guys are all here this morning, man. Yeah, praise the Lord. Look around, dude. It's awesome. Man, it's, it's been a hot week, right? It's been a hot week, man. I feel like we've moved down here, and I feel like we're the frog you put in the water before, you know, before it boils, and as it boils, the frog doesn't jump out. But that's okay, because like I said a couple weeks ago, we like it hot, man. So I still roll the windows down, cruise down, feeling it, just thanking the Lord, man. I love it. It's great. Because it's not, it's there's no ice, no ice, no ice, no ice. And if you think this is hot, then you better be right with Christ. Uh, <laughs> if this is uncomfortable, then I'll talk about that in a, bit, a little bit more. But hey, I'm so glad you guys are all here. Look around the room, man. This is great. A lot of smiling faces. A lot of you, some of you are joining us online. People, I know Kyler's not feeling good and pray that God blesses her. Others are sick. I know Jake up here, our, our, our lead worship pastor, I mean, he has had... He has been battling all morning long with some, like a stomach sickness, and I appreciate him being there, being here, and leading and doing a great job. But uh, it's a great, great to see everybody this morning. If you are with us for the first or second time, we just want to welcome you and just uh, pray that you feel God's presence and feel His love. And this is a great community. Uh, we like to laugh. We like to have fun. We take. Jesus and his word very seriously. We don't take ourselves very seriously. We like to have fun. So just join along and try us out. If you're looking for a home church, I'm Pastor Greg. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to meet you after service, you know, and uh, make a a name with a face. But um, yeah, if you got a Bible, we've been in Nehemiah in the Old Testament uh, for for a little while. We're going to continue in our The Power of a Godly Vision series. So go to Nehemiah 3 again this week. But while you're going there, uh, don't forget, you can give and uh, tithes and offerings. It's very, very important because uh, that supports the work of this church and the ministries, the many ministries of this church. Uh, Elizabeth, our admin coordinator, she's going to be uh, writing a, a check for about six, seven thousand dollars probably this week for AC repair. Um, talked about it last week. Did somebody say Amen? Hallelujah. I mean, it's good for the uh, the repair, but I mean that's a costly repair, right? But, praise the Lord, we we have the funds because of your faithful giving, and uh, that's very, very important, especially for our children's ministries and things like that in our lobby, and and you can see the... The the building is progressing. It's going on. They're doing the ceiling grid system. Uh, the Firetron sprinkler systems are all finished. So hopefully, they'll be working and completing the outdoor building soon. You know, if, if you're a, a young, you have a young baby, hopefully, our new you know mom's room will be finished soon. Keep praying for us about this, and we, you can still donate towards that, growing to our future uh, fund. You know, we're trying to raise uh, twenty five thousand to that, and uh, we're getting there. It's inching in there. Um, but that's very important. We'd love, you know, if you would like to support that, we're there. Okay? Sound cool? I got a big announcement. Don't, don't start the sermon clock yet. Okay? This is not in my time. All right? Please. You guys don't understand. They put a timer back there. Like that holds me back. You know what I mean? It's like, I just laugh at them. No, they're, no, they're not doing the timer today. That's okay. Hey, we have hired our next children's pastor, everybody. We're making that official. Um, uh, Pastor Stacy Nocchio had resigned uh, about, what is it, a month ago, right, around May, and now she, she's moving into uh, public, uh, well, not public, but um, teaching again. Um, I'm rambling. I don't want to ramble. Um, and my wife said, yeah, you're rambling. Let's move it. Greg. Let's move <laughs> it. But she's moving back to the school system, and uh, so uh, we hired a lady by the name of Carla McKee. Um, she brings a vast wealth of children's ministry experience. She has led child, full fledged children's ministries in multiple churches. She has started uh, new children's and implemented evangelism outreaches. She has ran a children's summer camp. You know, she's been in business, all kinds of stuff. We're hoping that um, her first day will be Sunday, August the 6th here. That's what we're, that's our target. Uh, And we're actually, that's going to be a great Sunday because we're going to really honor our students. We're going to honor our children. It's kind of like a promotion Sunday, graduation Sunday. So they go in their new classes and stuff like that. we're going to have kids involved in the worship and the er different areas of the church. Our children are going to sing a song. They're gonna sing a song, right? So it's gonna be a fun Sunday and we're targeting that to be the first day that she can start um, given where she is uh, a couple of weeks notice and then we'll have like a get together after that. Sound cool? Yeah. Yeah, man, all right. So we've been talking about vision. We've been talking about vision. Personal vision. We've been talking about a vision for our church and the visions that God gives us. And man, I look around today and I'm so excited. I'm, I'm so excited about what God is doing right here at Oso Creek Church. The Isaacs, me and my wife, my daughters, we arrived here a year and a half ago. And already what we see God doing and the people that God is adding is beautiful, man. It's just gorgeous what God is doing. Um, You know, and I've been praying all year round that by the end of the year, we're averaging 300. 300 average on a Sunday, okay? We have already, as a staff, started talking about how we're going to transition possibly to two services. So if you're feeling cramped today, you know, we're going to work on relief on that. The building, like I said, is progressing, and we're going to have a big party when it's done. Uh, We found some big scissors in the kids' area, like these plastic scissors. I told Elizabeth, I'm going to use these, you know, for the the cutting. I will do it. But listen, God is doing it, Right? God is moving and God is growing us. And what's so cool, I don't know the, the right stat, but I'd say probably 70 to 75% of this congregation has all started coming within the last two years, man. And that's just beautiful. That's good. Can we give the Lord praise? He's awesome. And speaking of what God is doing, uh, at the end of the service, and uh, if, if you're interested in like formal membership, you know, being a church member, or just finding out what that means, we will have a short meeting about 10 minutes after the service um, in the, what's the classroom with the little C, classroom C, I was like a little, little kid's potty, you know what I mean? So that's, that's how I know that room, but us like, turn to the left in the hallway and go all the way down, but that'll be coming, okay? Woo! Let's get you the word of God. <laughs> Trying to get through all those semantics and things like that. Um, Nehemiah 3, last week we dived into this chapter and we read every single verse of the chapter. It was a, quite a text, you know what I mean? A lot of names and stuff like that. But in doing that, I, I talked about the different people and the different individuals and the different talents that worked together to rebuild the walls and the gates of the city of Jerusalem that had been destroyed burned down and left in ruins by uh, the Babylonians when they conquered the Israelites decades earlier, brought them to a foreign land, Then the Persian king, as they defeated the Babylonians, the Persian king let a remnant of Jewish exiles go back to Jerusalem to re-inhabit and rebuild the city, and they did that. They built their own houses. They got all that going back, but they left the walls in ruins. They left the gates in ruins, okay? God birthed in Nehemiah, In his heart, a vision to go back and rebuild the walls, restructure the gates, bring that foundation back. Okay, and so by chapter three, Nehemiah is now in Jerusalem, and the work is going on, and it it took a lot of unified teamwork. That's what we talked about last week teamwork, rebuilding the walls, repairing the gates. They didn't have division. I mean, this is com- the, the people building the walls. I mean, it, it was all kinds of different people men, women, families, leaders, priests, out of towners. We read all kinds of people. There was no division, it, they, it was all unity, all right? Um, all the hands were on deck. They were getting their hands dirty for reestablishing their safety and their dignity and, and, and their witness to the pagan nations around them. And gang, that's what we talked about last week. That's how we should be as a church. That's how we should be doing kingdom work, working together in unity in the kingdom work that God has placed before us, okay? And throughout this series so far, we've talked about the huge significance of the city walls and the city gates, all right? I mean, these walls were huge and the gates were fortified so that together they would bring a lot of protection and a lot of security to the people living in the city, But please understand this. They lived better lives when the walls and the gates were established. Life was better when they had walls and gates. Without them, there was safety, or there was uh, danger. They would get raided, all right? They were uh, subject to ridicule from their enemies. They would be attacked with no real defense. And I hope that after today and my next message... um, you will see that the gates of the walls of Jerusalem has a direct correlation to our spiritual lives today. And with these gates in place, all right, you will live better lives spiritually. Now, I'm not talking, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing the, uh, the one gospel that's, the, you know, uh, prosperity, thank you. My, my helpmate, my Megan, she, my accountability, she, yeah. She's holding cue cards up for me. You guys don't see that, but that's all right. Actually, she's my timer, she's my, she, I, no, I'm not going to give that away. But if I ever tell a corny joke, I always look to her and I, I know if it, if it's good or bad based on whether she laughs or not, I'm <laughs> just kidding, but I'll still tell it anyway, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, it's not prosperity, God. It, this is just the truth and you'll see as we talk about these gates, you will live better lives spiritually. And these gates and walls built on the foundation of Jesus Christ will help, you know, repel spiritual attacks and raids by our enemy. So as we talk about each gate, because that's what we're going to do today, and, and, and you see though, it's like 10 gates, we're going to do it in my next sermon too. Um, I want you to ask yourself, is this gate in the wall of my life? Is this gate down? Does this gate need repaired? okay. Because we need to understand that these walls and gates, they are, even in Nehemiah's day, they are symbols of what separated God's people from the pagan culture all around them. And today, they are symbolic of what distinguishes us from the world. And you'll see as we talk about these gates, they are complete different than the world, okay? And the truth is, every wall has a gate, all right? So that's what we'll be talking about. That's, that's the first points in your creek notes there, okay? Um, they're symbolic of what distinguishes us from the world. And the truth is that every wall has a gate. Um, and you'll see that each gate is a direct separation from the world around us. And how important it is for us as believers in Christ to have these gates operational in our lives, okay? Um, we as Christians, as believers need to understand and appreciate the symbolism and the application found in these gates connecting the walls. The Old Testament character King Solomon wrote the Old Testament book of Proverbs. And in Proverbs chapter 25, 28, he reveals a common understanding of how important walls were in ancient society and how they're important for us today. He writes, a man or woman without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Without walls, okay? And guys, just like the ancient city of Jerusalem, if the walls and the gates are down, it's no good. (laughs) It's not good at all, all right? Spiritually, if the walls and gates in your life are down, it's not a good situation to be in, okay? And so there's a picture that we're gonna show that the city, the wall of Jerusalem is divided into 10 sections by 10 gates, all right? This is a picture of Jerusalem, in the day of Nehemiah, and it goes not clockwise, it goes counterclockwise, all right? And each gate represents, you know, a different part of the wall that separates you from our culture and our world, and, and we'll see as we journey through the 10 gates, they, they kind of build on each other. And so we'll, we'll start on one, and you'll see, it will make a complete circle around, and, and it's kind of cool how, how it does that, okay? Um, but often when you read a chapter like Nehemiah 3, Many of us are guilty of doing just this. We're, we're guilty of just kind of glossing over it all, the, the, the list of names and gates and parts of the wall, and we don't really give that a whole lot of attention, and, you know, it's kind of like a sort of a history lesson in a history book, and there's, we don't, you know, sometimes we're like, there's no meaning beyond, you know, just a list of titles and names. One thing I love about God's Word, how many of you guys know it's, li- it's alive and it's active? Yeah. And the Holy Spirit is our great teacher, as Jesus says in the Gospel of John, okay? And I love it when you research aspects of the Old Testament, and God reveals so much about Old Testament things that apply to our lives today. But sadly, a lot of believers want to dismiss the Old Testament. You know, oh, it's just, Greg, that's Old Covenant. That's just Old Testament, you know? Since God gave us the New Testament, the old one isn't as important, you know? Or, the Old Testament is just history and accuracy, nothing really applicable, or... I, I would use the phrase, don't make me go Old Testament on you. Anybody ever use that to your children? Nobody? Any parent? Use it. Watch the fear come in their eyes. You know what I mean? (laughs) Old Testament, what's he talking about? You know what I mean? Here's a truth we all need to recognize when it comes to the Old Testament. There is a New Testament truth behind every Old Testament example. If you're a student of God's word, you'll know that. I can say it like this. Every Old Testament example underscores or illustrates a New Testament truth. It all points to the New Testament. It all points to Jesus, right? And so as we go through these gates, all right, it's more than just a list. It's more than just detail. I want us to learn some New Testament principles by examining these gates, shall we? We're going to, okay? Keep your Bibles open to Nehemiah 3, because unlike last week, we're not going to read every verse. I know it's going to breathe a sigh of relief, all right? Uh, We're going to skip some verses throughout the chapter. So we find the first gate in the first verse of Nehemiah 3. The high priest, Eliashib, and his fellow priests, so the religious leaders are starting it off, okay? And his fellow priests began rebuilding the sheep gate. They dedicated it and installed its doors. The sheep gate is the first gate. That's the one we're starting with, okay? And, and this is so cool, all right? If we fast forward to, and I'll talk about this on my next message, but verse 32, at the end of this chapter, guess where we end up at? The sheep gate. This starts with the sheep gate. Chapter three starts with the sheep gate and it ends with the sheep gate. Do you know why? Because this gate represents Jesus Christ, the cross, and our salvation. Guys, it all begins and ends with Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling the presence of God right now. It begins and ends with Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says about himself. Revelation 22, verse 13. He says, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And the sheep gate is where it all starts. This is why Nehemiah lists this number one. Right in that, if you remember the picture, right in the very top left corner, okay? This is the beginning, gate number one. Look, and here's why this is the gate where they would bring in the sheep that would be used for the temple sacrifice. Lambs were led through this gate to be an atoning sacrifice for the people's transgressions, for the people's sins. These were the Passover lambs that were sacrificed during the great Jewish festival. So you have these lambs that are raised in the fields, then they're driven into the city through the sheep gate to become the Passover sacrifice. Woo, it's gonna get good, okay? In the Old Testament law, blood had to be shed to atone for man's sins. That's the way God wanted it, Okay. We see this precedent even starting in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. When, when Adam and Eve transgressed and sinned against God, what did he do? He slain animals and clothed them in the skins, or the, uh, the, the skins of animals. Blood was shed there, okay? The very next chapter, Genesis chapter 4, with Cain and Abel. They both came and offered a sacrifice to the Lord. Which sacrifice was more pleasing to God? Abel's slain lamb chops or Cain's salad bar? The Lord chose the sacrificed animal. And the word says that Abel even offered up the fat, the the best portions, okay? A sacrifice has to be made for sin. A sacrifice has to be made for sin. Now get this, Jesus used this gate to enter into Jerusalem. We see this in John chapter five, verse two, okay? It's one time. But he he would enter into Jerusalem probably every time through this gate, the sheep gate, until the Passover, when then he entered into Jerusalem through the eastern gate, the word says. And most likely he did this as a symbolic reference that he was the lamb to be slain for all of mankind's sins. Just as the the sacrificial lambs would be brought through the sheep gate to to be given to the temple sacrifice to atone for men's and women's sins, Jesus would come through the sheep gate almost every single time as a reference, hey, I am the lamb that's going to be slain. John the Baptist made a bold proclamation in the gospel of John chapter one, verse 29. He said, behold the lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. He is the lamb gang. And it all starts with the sheep gate. It all starts with Jesus. Listen, it, it doesn't begin with our works, our efforts. It doesn't, Start with our, you know, boy, you know, or our, our good tries, or what we can do, or our morality, or what we can give, or our good looks. Some of us have good looks. Oh, it's a joke, all right? I mean, look at my wife here, you know what I mean? Just kidding. She's laughing, so I don't know. I don't know what that means. All right, just kidding. It doesn't start with our looks. It doesn't start with our good talents. That's why in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, we see that there's some people that are in front of Jesus and they've done some pretty amazing things, some good things, some things that are right that we would say, dude, you guys are awesome. But Jesus looks at them and goes, Pfft. he says, get away from me. Depart from me. I, I, I don't know you. They thought that their money would suffice. Their good and kind deeds would make it. Their giving to the poor, their their giving to the needy would would please Jesus. Their self-righteousness, their religiosity, their keeping the rules and regulations would get them into heaven. Their, I've lived a good life, I'm a good person, I'm a moral person, would do it. Now, here's a truth bomb. You ready for a truth bomb? (laughs) It begins and ends with Jesus Christ and the cross, and that's it. That's it. There's a book that was written a few years ago called Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And the whole premise, I'll I'll, I'll give you the cliff notes or the Greg notes over here. Jesus plus any nothing I can add, equals everything. And that's so true. Listen, one day we will all, you watching online? Put your coffee cup down and listen, okay? All of you guys, listen, one day we will all stand before God. Every one of us, by ourselves. Your spouse won't be there. Your puppy won't be there. Your kids, grandma, mom, nobody. It'll be you and the Lord. And he's gonna ask us what we did with his son that he gave us. He wants to hear one answer. I accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior of my life. He laid down his life for me. He sacrificed himself so that I could live forever. I said yes to him and followed him in a relationship. God doesn't want to hear anything else. Well, I read. I read all the Bible fifteen times. I went to church religiously for forty years of my life. I only missed one Sunday. God. I gave nine hundred thousand and forty dollars and two cents. Now, these are all good things. Don't get me wrong. But God just wants to know that the sheep gate is operational in our lives. And you may say, well, Greg, that sounds a little harsh. Sounds a little exclusive. Sound, it's not very tolerant, Greg. It's not very accepting. Listen, that's the world talking. That's the world talking. I'm more interested in the word talking and what the word says. Okay? And what does the word say? Jesus, who is the word, said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I am. I, that's it. He is the sheep gate. And listen, before we go on and progress through the gates, you can't build any gates until you've built this gate. Right here. So I asked number one, first off, is this gate in your life? Is Jesus there? Is he your Lord and Savior? Have you accepted the sacrifice that he made for you? And you said, Yes, I'm gonna follow Jesus. Okay. The next gate is found in verse three of our text, Nehemiah chapter three, verse three. Then the sons of Hasanah built the fish gate. They built it with beams and installed its doors, its bolts and bars. So the next gate we come to as we're going counterclockwise is, you get it, you got it, the fish gate, all right? The fish gate, it was one of Jerusalem's main entrances to the city. It was on one of the main roads. Now, some of you here, you really like, how many of you love to fish? Let me see your hands, come on. I know James is there, Uh, okay. You all, I love to fish, okay, I love to fish. We would enjoy the fish gate, okay? We would really like this gate because this is where the merchants from Tyre and the Sea of Galilee, the Mediterranean Sea, the Jordan River and other areas that were fished, this is where they would bring in their catches to sell, all right? Uh, It was called the fish gate because once you entered it, you entered right into the fish market. This gate had a beautiful smell to it, (laughs) all right? All right? You knew where you were immediately, okay? Kind of like, you know, I've only been here a year and a half, but when you heading out to the island, you get on the bridge, before you get to the causeway, hits you like a brick sometimes when all that algae's dying. You know, you're like, whoa, whoa, son. It's a pleasant smell. You know, it's kind of like uh, Han Solo in the original Star Wars episode four. It's like when they're in the, that little trash compactor, what, a, what an amazing smell you've discovered. You know, that's kind of what it is, all right? This gate was all about fishing. Fishing. At least four of the twelve disciples were fishermen. That's thirty-three percent of the disciples. I did my math for this. Okay, one third of the disciples. This gate would have been important to them. What does it symbolize in our lives? Well, what does the fish gate mean to us? Well, Jesus told the meaning of these, the meaning of this gate to the to the disciples when he called them. He said in Matthew four nineteen, "Follow me, and I will make you." Fishers of men. Guys, this gate represents our witness. Once we've come to Christ, enter the sheep gate, now we can go to the fish gate, witnessing to others. Evangelism. oh wait a minute, PG. Whoa, 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 me witness? Me tell someone else about Christ? Let them know that I go to church? What? You're out of your mind. You are loco, you know? That's too intimidating for me, Greg. Okay. Listen to what Proverbs chapter 11, verse 26. We already read a proverb from Solomon. Look what else he writes. The people curse him who holds back grain. Now I like what there's a, a former pastor and theologian, uh, Jay Vernon McGee. He's, he used to do a walk through the Bible commentary on the radio show, all that. and he's gone on to be with the Lord. But I like what he, he talks about here with this proverb. He mentions that grain here can represent the Word of God. And it's not a good thing to withhold it, you know, from people who are very hungry for it, okay? What if you had all this grain, okay? People are starving in front of you. And you're like, no, I'm not going to give you any. I'm just going to keep it in my barn. I'm just going to keep what I've harvested, and and you guys get none of it, okay? But he goes on to say that, that people in hell will possibly rise up and curse those who are in heaven because they withheld that grain from them. How does this apply? Listen, guys, what if, what if your friend or family member is standing before God And God pronounces eternal judgment on them because they've not come to Christ. They've not followed Christ, okay? Oh, Greg, don't talk about eternal judgment. We don't like that. Listen, that's in the word of God. So I'm gonna talk about it, okay? But God pronounces eternal judgment on them and they are escorted out. And they look around and cry, why didn't someone tell me? You're just gonna be like, oh, I thought they would laugh if I said that, you know? I don't think they'd be laughing then. Listen, our witness is very important. We're called, and I preached on this at the beginning of the year, to be salt and light, to be different, to shine the light of Christ. And listen, when we're not witnessing, we're not serving God. We're not. Because Jesus commands us to do this in the Great Commission of Matthew twenty eight nineteen, listen to Jesus' last words before He ascended into heaven. Acts one eight. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. He's, Jesus said in Matthew five sixteen. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. You gotta shine. Because if you were here that Sunday, remember we we turned all the lights out, had everybody turn on their cell phones and all the light that was shining we illuminated the room, that's what we're called to do with our witness, that's the fish gate. This isn't just a suggestion by Jesus not like it's an option for us, not at all this gate has to be built in your life you walk through the, the sheep gate, now we walk through the fish gate how many of you have come to Christ because somebody went through that gate and they built that gate in their lives, and they encouraged you, and they witnessed, and they shared Christ with you, or you saw Christ shining through them in their life, and you said, I want what they have. Can you imagine how many friends, family members, colleagues, buddies, bosses, neighbors, pen pals, Facebook friends, sport team members, coaches, everyday people who might not make it to heaven because someone didn't build this gate in their life? Oh, Greg, I don't like that. I don't like thinking about people not going to heaven. Jesus himself said that the way to destruction, he's talking about hell, is wide and easy. And he said, many people go that way. He goes, but the path that leads to life is narrow and difficult and hard. And he said, and only a few people find it. And our call is to get outside of these, well, it was four, it's it's one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, uh, diagonally challenged walls, you guys get it, is to go out there and be fishers of men and build this gate in our lives. Someone's eternity might depend upon it. But there's believers now, they haven't mentioned Jesus to anybody in who knows how long. They have a lie, but they hide it. They don't want anybody, they don't want their family to know, they don't want their coworkers to know, their ball team, their unit. Keep it hidden, keep it hidden, you know, secret agent Christian. No, be a fisher of men. And I know witnessing can be very intimidating. It really can be. I mean, it, it, I've known a couple of my friends, dude, they have the gift of evangelism. It's a spiritual gift. They, they don't care who you are. They don't care where they are. They'll just drop Jesus, I mean, right in the middle of anything, you know? And it's awesome. That's, that's a definite gift. But we are all called to shine the light of Christ, okay? And it, and it really is easy. And um, there's, I mean, write, the, you're creating, write this uh, website down, truelife.org. TrueLife.org. Just point people to this website. It's an apologetics website. It has the way of faith. It's great. I've used it a lot. I'm gonna work on getting cards with that. You can just easily hand it. You can just easily hand it. I used to put them in like the gas stations with a little credit card reader. Put one right in there when I left. Somebody had to pull it out. You know what I'm saying? I love that kind of evangelism, you know? Matter of fact, we had these cards. I still had one. I was cleaning up a bunch of my junk yesterday, and I found a card. And we used to have these cards at the last church. After this message, I want to get some of these. But it, it, the front said, what if? And you flip it over the back. It's just the basic gospel track from the old day that's in a little index card now. But it's beautifully written in the back about what if this happened and this happened. And you face Jesus. I had it in my thing. I was getting donuts this morning, picking them up for the kids' ministry because uh, they won an award, right, or something. And I saw that, and I was like, you know, I'm just going to lay this right here on the counter, you know, just drive by evangelism. There it is, you know. <laughs> hey, God can direct that. Let me tell you a good story. My dad's a minister, a pastor, still pastors, 45th year of the church in East Indianapolis. But I, I was born in Greenfield, Indiana, okay, small cornfield town. That's nothing to brag about. Um, but when him and my mom were teenagers, they would go out on Friday nights and pass out, you know, gospel literature to these Harley bikers that were in the park. And they would laugh you know, ridicule them throw them all over the ground everything like that but they would do that all the time my dad said this one time he got very curious and he went back on a Saturday morning really early just to check out the scene he said he couldn't find one of those tracks not one piece of gospel literature was left anywhere which means they probably were like you know what I'm saying uh Hey, God can direct. God will move. He'll put it all in place. It's just our job to be the fisher of men, okay? Here's another website, peacewithgod.net. This is from the Billy Graham Association. It's wonderful. It leads people there, and just, it's the beautiful aspect of the way of salvation in a great interactive way, okay? So how's your witness? Is your lifestyle pointing to Christ? Your, is your words, your actions, your life showing people Jesus? When's the last time you mentioned Christ to someone or even talked to them about him? How are you doing it? sowing the seeds of the gospel? Does this gate need repair in your life? Let's move on to the next gate. And we're only talking about four this week, okay? We're only talking about four this week, and we'll knock out the six uh, when I come back after Ecuador. The next gate, as we move along, the city wall of Jerusalem is found in verse six, Nehemiah 3, six. Joeda, son of Pasea, And Meshulam, son of Bethsaudea, wow, some names, repaired the old gate. They built it with its beams and installed its doors, bolts, and bars. So the third gate is the old gate, or the Yashanah gate, if that's in some of your translations. This gate was also called the corner gate, and it's thought to be the main entrance when Jerusalem was the ancient city of Salem, As referenced in Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. And in that story and that reference, we see that Abraham, the patriarch, Jewish patriarch, he paid tithes to the priest Melchizedek, who is mentioned as the king of Salem. And he paid tithes even before tithing was instituted in the Old Testament law. So, what does the Old Gate represent? What does it represent for us today? We find meaning or our representation in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. The prophet Jeremiah writes, Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths, where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you'll find rest for your souls. But the people of his day said, We will not walk in it. Now, when I, as a pastor, when I say walk in the old paths, I know some might say, you know, hey man, I like the good old days of the church, brother. <laughs> the, listen, the prophet Jeremiah wasn't talking about the old paths and the good ways as being the old hymns, which are very good. I love them, okay? Or I remember when everybody dressed up for church, no one wore a hat or no one, it was respect, which is okay, but I, that's not what he's talking about. Church just isn't the same as it was 40 years ago, all right? <laughs> I long for the old days, which are great, or, or any fond remembrance of how we did church back in the day, okay? Now, if you've been a church lifer or gone to church for a long time, you're, you're going to have fond memories of how church was done, and that's good. That's all, I'm not talking against That's okay. It's okay. I have great fond memories, Okay? That's not what Jeremiah is talking about. That's not the old gate we're talking about. The old paths, the, the good way, is the way of solid foundational doctrine. Come on, right? Built upon the foundation of the word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? Biblical theologian and commentator Adam Clark, he writes, the good way is that which has been trodden by the saints from the beginning." It's the old way, the way of faith and holiness. Believe, love, obey, be holy and be happy. This is the way. Let us inquire for it and walk in it. Just like the Mandalorian says, this is the way, all right? This, saints have been saying that for old. This is the way, you know, okay? Man, there's such a movement, especially in churches, churches and religion, and spirituality, for everything to be new, and fresh, and modern, and contemporary, non-offensive, hyper-seeker-friendly, inclusive. So much so, that some, now I'm seeing it left and right, and I say many, have taken sound doctrine and just thrown it out the window. They're not working on building the the old gate anymore, okay? And we hear phrases like, oh, that that would be too offensive. They wouldn't want to come to our church. So as a minister and as our leadership, we're we're just not going to go there and we're going to smile and we'll just tell them Jesus loves them and everything's going to be okay. We're not going to talk about that part of the Bible because it's going to offend people, okay? Listen, I said this a, a few weeks ago, about a month, I guess, and 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 I'm gonna say it again. We cannot take God's word and say, Well, I like this, but I don't like that. I can get behind this part of the word of God, but I cannot get behind this aspect. Or I know what God's Word says. But I don't agree with it. Gang, it's a dangerous game to play. It really is. God's word is God's word. And listen, it's not going to change. Whether you or I like it or not, whether we totally agree with it or not, it doesn't change a thing about God's word because his word is unchanging. That's why we hold to its truths and it's eternal. I don't want, man, that's good to praise the Lord on. Listen, I don't want a Bible that's adaptable and can be changed. There's no solid footing on that. That's like us going down to the beach, getting our anchor shins in the in the in the you know, shin deep water and thinking that we're just gonna be able to stand there forever and not be swallowed up by anything, by the waves, that we'll be unmoved by the waves, the wind, the waters. No. Eventually, you're gonna keep sinking and sinking as the sand moves, waves as the tide comes in. It's gonna burrow you over and maybe knock you over. If there's a huge hurricane storm that comes, I guarantee you, you're not gonna be standing there. This wind can't knock me down because I've got my feet right here. No. What do we do when the storms of life and the storms of culture and the storms of society hit us like crazy and we have a word that we're trying to make adaptable for a culture for whether we like it or not? It doesn't work. We cannot play this game of pick and choose when it comes to God's word. We can't agree with like most of it, 90% of it, yet I don't agree with 10% and think that's okay. Okay. And I get it. The word of God can be tough on certain things. It's tough on certain lifestyles and certain applications in our lives. But it's his word. It's God's word. And listen, there are biblical foundations that cannot be swept aside just for the sake of tolerance, acceptance, unity, or inclusiveness with the world. It's either an amen or it's an oh me. That's the truth. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) but but it is the truth, gang. There there are foundations of God's word and just just so the world will like us or so that we will be accepted, tolerated, we're gonna sweep parts of it away or not gonna talk about it or we're we're gonna adapt. Well, Greg, culture's changing. How come the word of God doesn't change? Because it's the word of God and it's eternal because it's Jesus Christ. You don't see Jesus changing for the world. Jesus didn't come to be accepted by the world. No, he came to save the world. He came to call people out of the world. Man, I'm, that's good preaching right there now. <laughs> Somebody needs to put that on Instagram or tweet it, you know? He came to call us out of the world. Praise the Lord. Look, we can have unity and disagreement on the secondary issues of faith, such as like, you know, worship style, worship place, you know, even worship day, you know, instruments or not, you know, speaking in tongues, appropriate Sunday attire, hymns or not hymns, smoking or non-smoking. I was just, you know, nothing in it. <laughs> I see if somebody, some of you guys caught that, it's all good, listen. But on the foundational elements of Scripture, we have to be in 100% agreement, gang. The trinity, the divinity and humanity of Jesus Christ, the second coming of Jesus, salvation only through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, the sovereignty of God, the authority of Scripture, the infallibility of Scripture as well as many others. And listen to me, the word word of God is absolutely clear, absolutely clear on human sexuality, on marriage and gender identity. I'll say it. There might be five people here next Sunday. That's okay. I'll say it. Because I stand on God's word, not the culture. I have to answer to God, not man. You know what I'm saying? And so on these foundational essentials, we've got to be in 100% agreement, gang. We have to be dogmatic in these because they're essential beliefs and they define us to the very core. Dude, I just saw a Facebook quote this morning. Great old Facebook, right? (laughs) I, I think, Eric, can you put that on? Is that, do we have that in? The God... God is not going, yeah, look at this. God is not going to rewrite the Bible for your generation. So stop trying to change scripture when it's written to change you, man. Woo! I love that. Woo! Praise the Lord. Jake, come on up here, man. I've got to end this message. Mm. If he's here, I don't know if Jake's still here. I don't know if you went home because you're not sick. Gang, that's the truth though, right? Right? (laughs) No, I got one more. I've got one more. God is so good. I love you guys, dude. It's so fun. You guys are awesome, man. So, (laughs) all right, let's bring it back down. We need to build this gate of foundational doctrine in our lives. And as your pastor, dude, Oso Creek, standing on the doctrines of God. We will love, hmm, we will love we will show Christ grace. Yes. We will walk with people. Dude, is anybody perfect in here? No. Not at all. But we're gonna walk together in Christ, allowing him to change us. He loves us just as we are, but I love saying it, God loves us too much to let us stay where we are. He wants us to be like Christ. And we're gonna help, we will walk with people, but we're gonna stand on God's word. And gang, there may be a time where it gets very, Very uh, unpopular. It's it's already getting that way. But we're not about popularity. We're about the Lord. So the fourth and last gate I want to mention this morning, one more gate. It's found in verse 13. Verse 13. Hanun and the inhabitants of Zenoa repaired the valley gate. The fourth gate's the valley gate. And this one, I'm not going to talk long on this one because we've... There's a, two weeks we talked about some of this, but this gate would lead you, you know, out of the city into a valley. Hey, I've been in valleys in my life. How about you? Some of you might be there in one right now. What's one thing you learn in the valley? H-U-M-I-D-I-T-Y, right? Humidity? No. <laughs> you do, but H-U-M-I-L-I-T-Y. Humility. Humility. So so the application of this gate is humility and difficulties. Humility and difficulties. The psalmist says in Psalm 23, 4, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The valley. The valley of the shadow of death. Listen, we all go through trials and temptations, suffering, hardships, The waiting period, I talked about that for two weeks. Two messages on the waiting period. Why do we go through through these things? Does does that mean we don't have enough faith? Or that there's sin in our lives as some would teach or preach in the prosperity gospel movement? No, and I I could spend a whole sermon on this. The, The Bible answers the Bible and we learn the lesson for the valley gate in the book of James in the New Testament. James chapter one, verse two through four. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Paul speaking in Acts 20, verses 18 through 19, he he talks about... Serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials. Paul, the greatest missionary this world has ever seen, writes, dude, I'm serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears, many trials. Look, God doesn't like pride. That's why God got Lucifer kicked out of heaven. And pride is one of the main sources of problems in marriages and churches and in families, in our lives, in the entire world. And the world has a selfish pride problem, and in reality so do we. That's why we need the valley gate. God wants his people to walk in humility. The word of God has so much to say about being humble. I've listed some scripture references in the Creek Notes. Micah 6.8, Romans 12.3, James 4.10, Proverbs 29.13, Colossians 3.12, just a, just a few. The apostle Paul encourages us to walk and clothe ourselves in humility. And humility is a a fruit of the Spirit that comes from an inner working from God as we go through trials and sufferings and hardships and difficult seasons and temptations, those waiting periods in our lives. As we walk through the valley gate, God's doing that inner work in our heart. And the person that says, hey, I'm gonna work hard, I'm gonna be more humble, they just don't get it right. There's a man that said to a friend of his, you know, you know, I've, I've been trying to be humble and at last I've succeeded. And the friend said, well, I'm sure you're pretty proud of that, aren't you? And he goes, I am. <laughs> That's not how it works, all right? <laughs> you cannot build this gate in your life apart from the Holy Spirit working in your heart. And I'm gonna talk about the fountain gate next, man. It's gonna get good. You think this, these gates... Man, wait till we get to the next six gates. It's an inner work. It's an inner build that shows up on the outside. And here's the good news. You want some even better news? Good news? We don't have to walk through this gate alone. Jesus is with us. I read the first part of Psalm 23, 4. Listen to the rest. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. You are close beside me. Woo! Hallelujah. As the old hymn sings. And he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me I'm his own. Okay, he walks with us. He talks. He's close to us. He knows our tears. He carries us when we can't go on. He knows the burdens that we carry. He knows what we struggle with. He knows our pains and the pain of the heart that, that maybe nobody else around us sees. He doesn't leave us to walk through the valley gate alone. No, he grabs our hand and he leads us through it himself because he went through it. He faced it. He conquered the greatest valley any human ever will ever experience. But it's a gate that needs to be in our lives, the gate of humility. So, so see how beautiful this all is? It, it starts with Jesus, and the sheep gate, and then we become his witnesses, right? And we build our lives on solid foundation of doctrine of Jesus, the old gate. And then, like all of us as humans, we start experiencing those down times, those the valley gate. But that's where God works in us. He develops us. And humility is brought. And it all begins and ends with Jesus. Lord, build the gate of humility. The valley gate in my life. And Thank you, Lord, that you're with us. He loves us. He desires a right relationship with us. Gang, he is for you. Not against you. And God will never love you and I more than he does right now. And there is nothing that you and I have done or can ever do that will make him love you less. Lord, we just come before you right now in the, the stillness of this moment, the sacredness of where we are right now. Lord, you know our hearts and you know our lives. And I pray that there's anybody here that has not said yes to you, Jesus. They've not looked upon you like the the thief on the cross and just said, remember me. Remember me, Jesus. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would stir their heart right now. Maybe they've been pushing that, that, that nudging from you, that prevenient grace of you pulling and drawing on their heartstrings. They've pushed it off and pushed it off and pushed it off. Let today be the day they say, yes, Jesus, I give you my life. Be my Savior and Lord. I want to follow you. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you'll be saved. You are in, my friend. <laughs> if you're online or here, do that this morning. And for everybody else, examine yourself. Are these gates in your life? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And it's a precious moment right now. God is moving on the heart. God, touch us. And Lord, forgive us if we've, if we've compromised with your word or anything like that. Forgive us, God. Cleanse us, purify us today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Look, I'm gonna be right over here. If you need prayer, man, I would love to pray with you. If you've never made Christ your Savior, you did what we're praying or whatnot, man. Come please talk I'm to him. I'll give you a high five and say, welcome to the family. You know? How can I help you? But let's worship the Lord in this last song, too. Because He's so good. He's so good. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Mm. You are-